the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Yes, it is. I hope you're having a great Monday as we head into Hour 3. I want everyone to be a thank God it's Friday kind of person and a thank God it's Monday kind of person. I want us to have our rest and recreation, and I want us to have our industriousness. What do you say about a government that wants you less industrious? Um, What do you say about a government that at the snap of a finger will shut things down? It considers non-essential work, business, church, synagogue, mosque, recovery meetings. Can't do those. But it's dead set on telling people they have to choose between their livelihood and their sanctity of their body when it comes to the vaccines. This is why I am so impressed with those folks at Southwest who are standing athwart this totalitarian nonsense and saying stop. Saying stop. You want to mess with us? Let's see. Try doing it without us. Try doing it without us. Try going into November and December without us. This is how every successful strike has worked. And I believe that they are in sync with the people we used to consider heroic, standing up against totalitarianism, whether it was Henry David Thoreau or Martin Luther King Jr. They weren't standing up to totalitarianism. They were standing up to authoritarianism and things much less than that. Gandhi, perhaps, in a sense, more so. We used to esteem these things. We used to praise the works of Henry David Thoreau. I love that he wrote A Corporation of Conscientious Men as a corporation with a conscience. Southwest is on the precipice of showing us whether they are or they aren't. I know we engage in a lot of attempted boycotts in this country, we conservatives. Coke, you name it. Ben and Jerry's. They don't work out that well for a lot of reasons. A lot of reasons. This is going in the other direction. This is from company employees to us. This is Lekwalesa at the dockyards in Dansk saying, here I stand for the principle of freedom. Join me. Well, bless these pilots, ATAs and other workers at the airline industry at Southwest. We'll stand with you. We've been waiting for you. We've been encouraging you. And we won't leave you. We won't leave you. Think about becoming the airline that 50% of the country thinks of as the preferred and first airline of choice. And maybe, maybe, maybe even a, a bunch more who used to call themselves liberals until they realized that liberalism is also part of the new speak universe that George Orwell t- told us about. 
It's not what it used to mean. Liberalism now means muscular leftism. And you want to know something about muscular leftism or muscular any kind of government? could be said of fascists on the right, fascists on the left. It doesn't matter. You want it's true of them? They'll go as far as they can so long as the population puts up with it. That's why I say getting used to decadence is not a good thing when it comes to the mismanagement of places like California. And it's not a good thing either for us to continually, continually submit to fear over and against truth and science. I'll never use the word my truth, but as long as some people on the left are allowing others to use it for corrupt purposes, maybe they should give it to people who have just a little bit more education. Like pilots on airlines. Let me, uh, oh great. Alexandra, don't go away. I'm coming to you in a moment. First, Lisa in Phoenix. Hi, Lisa. Hey, thanks for taking my call. You know, the pilot's the one that spoke said he is it's his livelihood that's how he puts food on the table and there are others who make less money than him of course can we send up can we set up a gofundme page to support them we 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 have their backs but we're not doing anything for them they're losing their money it's a it's a do something yeah well i think that's a really good idea lisa and i tell you what i'm going to have some guests on the topic tomorrow and I will promote it with them and see if they can take the idea and run with it. I love the idea. I love the idea. Now, what will be interesting to see is whether the government allows that GoFundMe page to exist. Remember the situation at ASU? I know they want it to just go away. Those two female students who racially assaulted those two male students in what they call a multiculturalism center over there, because, by the way, do you remember what those students' crime was? It was twofold. It was twofold. Being white and having a bumper sticker they said was violence. You know what the bumper sticker said? Blue Lives Matter. That's violence. To say it is violent goes to my whole thesis of newspeak and what the left is doing. Taking things nonviolent and making them violent and taking things that used to be violent and making them nonviolent. But it'll be interesting. Oh, so my point about ASU, GoFundMe. The two students who engaged in the racial assault are allowed to have a GoFundMe page by the GoFundMe Corporation or whatever it is who operates that. The two white students who tried to do it do not get one. Do not get one. There's one rule for the Greeks and one rule for the Romans in this country right now, and I want to break that rule because it's a fiction designed by a totalitarian movement that wants to control not only where you go to school, but clearly also where you go in that school and what you can say at that school. So much the worse that it's a public institution. So much the worst. I don't know if GoFundMe will allow that. I hope so. I hope so. And we'll push it and promote it. You know, it's funny what lies they'll put up with. Bill, remind me to come back to lies, COVID, and Joe Biden, will you? Because I have a theory about vaccine hesitancy that it's not really 
what a lot of people are maybe saying it is. I think there's something deeper about it. And I don't know how strong it is, honestly. I think it's a hesitancy against the mandate more than anything. Of course, the mandate is part and parcel of the fact that 100% of the country is not in strict compliance with what Joe Biden thinks today. But I have another theory on it. Bill, remind me of that theory and Biden's complicity in it when we uh, when we uh, come back. But first, Alexandra's in Phoenix. Hi, Alexandra. Hi, Seth. Thank you for taking my call. I'll be very quick. I don't want to take up any uh, a lot. Of we're time. here for you. I people, you're very polite to say these things, but you know we're a talk radio show to thank hear you. from you guys. So don't worry about that. Thank you. You let me worry about you, that. You bet. It. Thank you, sir. You um, I I. You know, called actually because you you always mentioned George Orwell, which I mean, it's such an honor to always hear people mention a name, you know, that name. Because I grew up, I was uh, when I was growing up, teachers, the books they used to teach us were so amazing. The teachers I had, at least, and the school I went to was a Padilla, Padilla, like a school which had uh, I was ahead of my years basically a gifted student. Uh-huh. So we, I was in sixth grade, and we read the book Animal Farm, which uh-huh. I honestly recommend for everyone who wants to understand uh, what these socialists uh, are, okay? And Animal Farm is pretty, it's satirical, it's an allegorical, uh, sorry, I can't pronounce you're it. You're right, you're right, it's allegorical as well, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, well, when I was in sixth grade, and we had to, we were actually doing a play, so we had to get in groups, like clusters of five, the teacher, based it on our personalities. Hmm. Now, I ended up in the group where I was with the Molly, the horse, and what the book is really about is about the animals who feel that they don't have freedom, Mm -hmm. they don't have... Basically, they don't appreciate everything around them, right. how good they have it with right. this animal farmer. And uh, they rebel against that, uh, rebel against the farmer. They overtake it, but only to be under a dictator pig named Napoleon. That's right. Uh, and I don't want to ru- ruin it for the rest Oh, do me a favor, but- Alexander. Do me a big favor. I hope you're not in a rush. i got to take a commercial break. Can you stay? Can we pick this That's up okay. on the other side? That's okay. Now I'm asking you for more time. I I appreciate it. (laughs) Thank you, Alexandra. Very Democratic radio here. 602-508-0960. More on Animal Farm and with Alexandra when we come right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show, 602-508-0960. We're talking with Alexandra about Animal Farm and elementary books that they just don't assign anymore. Alexandra, I'm sorry, you were telling us a little bit more about your experience with Animal Farm and your knowledge. Go ahead. Yeah, yes, sir. Um, it was just nostal- such good nostalgia to have those teachers who, you know, input it that they, they planted that seed of love for me to make me realize sometimes some things are just best left alone. And you know what? My teachers challenged us. Because I remember, um, sir, I, I'm sorry I said they clustered us. It was actually um, we had to identify which animal we personified ourselves closest to. Because what we ended up doing was we ended up cha- uh, writing an essay as to why. 
why did we identify with that particular Oh, okay. Animal? Yeah, that's smart. Okay. And, well, well, we did a play, sir, and we did it where we overthrew our teacher, a student, and we had to write our own song. We had to uh, write the, uh, our own lines, and our teacher would review everything and see, you know, if it, it was in, you know, order. And it was amazing, you know, and the challenge that we had. They, I, even when I was helping as a special education assistant, I did work on the side with students, challenging them with artistic things. But, you know, we seldom got these things. You know, we were never, I never saw Animal Farm in these schools anymore. You no. Know? And it really, really, you know, these are the books, these are things that I thought myself, I thought, I'm so grateful I had wonderful teachers. And all my teachers were Jewish, by the way. I just was like, I was like, you know, and it was an elementary school. It was a, it was a public school. And um, I was really blessed. And I just feel, you know, had they not instilled that, because that, that actual book is uh, George uh, Orwell's view on Stalinism. Yeah, that's right. First the revolution and then Stalinism subsequent to it, as I remember it. That's right. And, and And the reason Orwell isn't taught like he used to be, isn't read like he used to be, is because of what Orwell said in his other book, 1984. And what I was saying, there's a there's a there's a wonderfully sad but true thing. He wrote what he wrote 1984 at the end, uh, 1949, I believe. And he wrote, by 2050, earlier probably, <laughs> all real knowledge of old speak will have disappeared. The whole literature of the past will have been destroyed. Chaucer, Shakespeare, Milton, Byron, they'll exist only in newspeak versions, not merely changed into something different, but actually contradictory of what they used to be. Well, he got that right. We got rid of all that. You can be an English <laughs> ma- You can be a literature major at top American colleges and never encounter a class on Shakespeare. How do you like that? Never mind Chaucer, Chaucer, Milton, and Byron. Uh, Yeah, 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 never mind that. But it begs a hugely important series of questions, Alexandra, which is, why aren't we teaching Orwell particularly anymore or anything along the lines of what Orwell wrote? Um, I I wonder if we're even teaching Brave New World anymore. Um, and, And part of it is the message. Part of it is the message. I mean, an animal farm... Isn't one of the messages that um, – I'm, I'm working off memory here. I'll give me a stuttering moment here. There's a point where he says bravery and freedom are not the important things. Loyalty and obedience are more important. Loyalty and obedience, right? Wasn't that the satirical message out of Animal Farm, the point of Stalin? It was. <laughs> yeah, right. Loyalty and obedience, much more right. important than freedom. Yeah. And bravery. I, I, do you know who Alec, uh, uh, Andrew Sullivan is? Used to be an editor at the New Year Republic, kind of a liberal guy, but kind I, of a, you know, somewhat. Yeah. yeah. So Greg, Greg Abbott, the governor of Czech, Texas, just signed a, um, uh, a uh, just signed an order uh, rec- uh, stating that Texas would not enforce any vaccination mandates by any entity. And Andrew Sullivan snarkily tweeted. Ah, yes, there goes the party of small government and individual rights again. I couldn't help. I had to retweet to him and say, well, great point. Mandates create more government and forcing someone 
to inject something into their physical body is about the greatest violation of individual rights I can think of. Andrew Sullivan has a new dictionary. He thinks not enforcing mandates is big government and an abuse of individual rights. I, I, I don't know how to have conversations with people like that, where they have changed the dictionary. It's really hard. Really hard. It's know. really hard. No, but yeah, but there's another interesting element to to Animal Farm too, which is a mark of the Soviet um, system or any real, any 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 um, any fascist or communist system too, and it has to do with animals. The distinction between animals and humans, which I wasn't really going to do a lot on today, but. Let me just set the ground, and if you want, I can. But it, it, it goes straight to natural and what we called or used to call inalienable rights, that distinction between man and animal. That distinction occurs, obviously, in nature, and it was understood really well by our founders. It was understood so well that in the Federalist Papers, Madison put it, that if men were angels, there would be no government necessary for them. But men are not angels, and thus government is necessary. This was the whole fight of between 1860 and 1865. Are men, based on the color of their skin, animals, or are they human beings endowed by their creator with natural rights which are not alienable? Lincoln thought the second. Stephen Douglas and the Confederacy thought somewhat, in Stephen Douglas's case, the first, totally in the Confederacy, the second. And then they thought a third thing, Douglas and the Confederacy. They thought a third thing. They thought the founders agreed with them. They thought the founders agreed with them, which, of course, was the entire project of Lincoln to redirect their education on. But think about what you can do once you categorize certain human beings into the category of animal, as the Nazis did so well and as the communists did so well. For Nazis, the differentiation was based on race. For communists, it was obviously based on economic status, right, or economics. If you can remove someone from the category of human that you exist in, and treat them as an animal, then what can you do with them? Whatever you do to animals. You could even call them property if you wanted. But if you treat them as your own, as having the same exact inherent rights as you, that's another thought altogether. And by the way, there's a recipro reciprocity to that. It's, it's about not treating humans as animals. It's also about not treating them as gods, which means that humans can't act like gods either. Men were angels. No government would be necessary. We aren't angels or beasts. We're human beings with natural rights. And a government that takes those is not a government of our just consent. Something about natural rights did occur to me today. I was um, watching an old Firing Line episode. And um, it was uh, William Buckley 
debating uh, Norman Thomas, who was the several time let's see when you were in for president six times on the socialist ticket candidate for president on the socialist ticket numerous times, maybe six. And they got into a discussion a little bit about individuals surrendering their rights and how the democratic obligation, small d, democratic obligation is to allow them. So, for example, Norman Thomas is talking about the right to choose communism, the right to choose it in a democratic society. This, too, goes back to Lincoln, of course, when he asked in his message to Congress, how did he put it, are all governments inherently too strong for the liberties of its people or too weak to allow them? And uh, I just I just isolated this clip and wanted Bill to play it. It's just a nice thing to remember because it seems we've traveled an awfully far distance from the understandings that created us in the first place. Give me that, Bill Buckley. I don't think anybody has a right to vote for communism because when you vote for communism, you don't vote for something as it regards yourself. You vote for something... Uh, as it regards other people, too. I don't think the people in the United States have the right to vote to prevent me, let's say, from going to church uh, or the right to keep me from speaking freely. And uh, by the same token in which I cherish my own rights, I think other people have rights, too, even if they're merely South Vietnamese. (laughs) Right. Right. Interesting the point about voting for communism, which is not about voting for something for yourself, but voting on a tyranny against others. It's an assault on the notion of consent. It's an assault on the notion of just powers of government that the Declaration speaks of widely. And it, and it, and it takes us to an interesting thought, doesn't it? It takes us to an interesting thought. Because while those who may demand the right to vote for anything they want, including communism, let's call it slavery, or the slavery of others but not yourself perhaps, how far distant is that notion from this mandate regime we're now facing? It's about forcing others to do something against their will on something that either protects them or doesn't, but is an assault on their body to their own consciences. Actually, an assault to their body for good or bad purposes, however you want to categorize it. But it's an assault on the body in the most strictest of the definition of assault. Think about that. And think about the fact that we live now in a regime where this can't be openly talked about. It can't be openly talked about in the platforms that are the largest areas where these things are talked about. Oh, yes, we have it on talk radio, and I'll never surrender how important that is any more than William Buckley would surrender how important Firing Line was, even though it was up against ABC, NBC, CBS, and the like, and the rest of PBS, quite frankly. It's important to have a redoubt because it may not be the numbers but the who – may not be the numbers, but the names of listeners that are important. And if I can push that 
thinking just a little bit further, consider what it takes to be deplatformed in the COVID totalitarianism we live in. Think about what it takes to become deplatformed. Saying something that some scientists with government titles say you can't say. False things about COVID. Spreading misinformation. Can we talk about what it means to spread misinformation on COVID when we come back? Rusty, will you prep the audio? Thank you. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show, 602-508-0960. I I guess this is as good a time as any to float this theory of mine, and we'll get to the audio and Joe Biden to to back me up on this. But you can get deplatformed from most most of the big social medias for – putting out information that does not receive countenance or or is not in agreement with what several people in the government and in the crisis industrial complex think. It's an interesting perversion of truth. It doesn't have anything to do with my truth. It has to do with control and the use of science, which I should hope after the 20th century people would be really very skeptical of wedding those two things together. I would really hope that. But as I said, never again was one of the great lies of the 20th century. It's a weird thing when never again is a bigger lie than totalitarian instinct. If you follow my thinking. My theory on vaccine hesitation, and it animates what I feel about, think about vaccine mandates, is that it's not mostly a bunch of people with odd ideas. It's mostly normal people who simply have had enough of the misstatements, misdirection, and lies or mistruths, if you prefer, I could justify them as lies the way they were pitched, but mistruths, if you prefer, that the government has told you on COVID alone. From the beginning, there was no humility, but there was a ton of certainty. And it wouldn't have mattered so much if it didn't require us to surrender certain rights that we considered inherent and natural. The right to earn a living. The right to travel where we please. The right to go to church and exercise that First Amendment precious commodity that so few other systems or societies have. And the odd things that the scientific and governmental communities told us about those things. Here we go again, converting words into actions and actions into words and making one safe and one unsafe by a perverse inversion. No outdoor congregations because of COVID, although if we find something as bad as COVID, racism, do it. And we had hundreds of scientists signing off on those letters 
and hundreds of government leaders bowing down to that notion. Racism is as great a threat to this country's conscience as COVID is to its physical health. There you are again, taking an ideology, if you will, racist, noxious, and converting it into putting it on the same plane as a physical danger. And thus it required physical action. So COVID mitigation, COVID mandates could take a back seat so long as the purpose was anti-racism. From one side, from one side, don't you know? I believe people have stopped trusting what this government has said about COVID. The mask thing alone is enough to give you whiplash. No masks, masks, masks more important and better than a vaccine. Vaccine won't come. Vaccine comes, meaning take off mask, meaning put mask back on. And now this whole thing with breakthrough. Joe Biden in Illinois last week. Give me Joe Biden in Illinois last week. This we're making sure healthcare workers are vaccinated because if you seek care at a healthcare facility, you should have the certainty that the people providing that care are protected from COVID and cannot spread it to you. Lie. In that very state of Illinois, in that very state of Illinois, there are right now over 2,000 people hospitalized with or from COVID who have been doubly vaccinated. 30% of the with or from COVID deaths since January of this year in Illinois, 617 of them doubly vaccinated. It's not a case against the vaccine. I get the point of the vaccine for mitigating your own symptoms or your own ill health if you get COVID. I get that totally, and that should be your choice. Not against it at all. I'm against the lies that are wedded to a mandate, which makes you wonder why you have to lie and encourage a mandate at the same time. What did he say in July, Bill? Do we have time for July? The various shots that people are getting now cover that. You're okay. You're not going to get COVID if you have these vaccinations. And yet... And yet, last month, 75% of the deaths in Vermont from COVID were of the doubly vaccinated. 75, no longer this nonsense about 90, 99%. That's Vermont. I think the most vaccinated state in the country. It's not a good thing for the government to continue to lie to you because at a certain point, the people will do what they are doing, not believing you. And that, I think, is what's responsible for the hesitancy that exists. They just don't trust the government. And there can be levels of things you can trust and not trust. But when it comes to you having to make a choice between feeding your family or not, a Hobson's choice like that. In the Soviet Union, you could work if you had a card saying you were a member of the Communist Party. You tell me how close we're getting there and how far we're running from it. I get the hesitancy from people. I at least understand it. It's not their fault.
On this Columbus Day, uh, saluting uh, the contributions of Italian Americans to our society and civilization, I'll read what William Buckley said in 1992 on the Today Show, talking about a sailing book he wrote, tracing the steps, tracing the, not steps, the sailing, the navigation of um, Columbus. He did it in 1992, and he was on the Gumbel uh, Today Show with Brian Gumbel, and Gumbel was giving him a hard time on Columbus saying he's maybe not the hero you think he is. and Here's what William Buckley said. The anti-Columbus business is a failure and a fall of self-doubt and self-hatred which characterizes our culture today. The notion that Columbus is other than to be applauded for discovering a world in which 380 million people now live is fractious and it is stubborn and it is eccentric. He didn't unleash genocide. Genocide was an entirely conventional way of conducting yourself during the 1400s and for 2,000 years before that. People killed each other, and they killed little children for sealing sixpence in those days. Columbus himself left very strict instructions to his crew to deal very humanely. And by current standards, they did with everybody they ran into. So... If one is in search of historical hobgoblins, I'd pass Columbus by and give him a pretty wide berth. Thank you, William Buckley. I like that, historical hobgoblins. We should use the word hobgoblin more. He used it a lot. Folks, uh, thank you for today. Until tomorrow... Wish you a great Columbus Day. Happy Columbus Day. You want an Indigenous Peoples Day? I have no problem with it. There's plenty of days. Put one in. But don't take away one to suit the other. You have plenty of other days you can do that. It shows you the hypocrisy of the left. We can only celebrate one of two peoples. No, we can celebrate everyone's contributions here. We're that kind of a country, actually. But then, of course... That mean well, we'll save it for tomorrow. Until then, God bless you all, and class dismissed. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.